Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. What's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart with Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Guys, I am so excited about today's podcast. This was easily one of my favorite shows I've ever done with one of the most interesting guests I've ever had. My guest today is a young man named Saad Alam. Saad is the founder of a new website and a new resource center called Keep Me Prime. He is determined and obsessed with putting together all the newest resources and all the best information to help men, uh, women soon, but for now he's going to start off with men, but to help men keep themselves in the prime of their lives, extend the longevity of their lives. His story as to how he got to this place in his life where he found um, kind of this, this new purpose was really great. It was like a really heartfelt story. He had created and sold his first venture-backed cap, uh, company. And he said he was 34, I think, maybe he was 35, and he was living the American dream. You know, he had sold his first company, he had fallen in love, he had an amazing girlfriend, but he was suffering from these health ailments where there was, there was really no way to explain what was going on. And so because of that, he just dug deep and he started doing research. And within that research, he discovered all different types of new new age methodology, methodologies and new information that can really extend the prime of his life. And now he's determined to help other men extend the prime of, the prime of their lives. He was so well-spoken. I loved speaking to him. I learned so much from him. I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. So please help me welcome my new friend, Saad Alam. Saad, thanks so much for joining me on my podcast, brother. Yeah, man. I'm excited as all hell. Cool. Um, Man, so you and I have been talking for about an hour, about 45 minutes, an hour, getting to know each other a little bit. It seems like you and I already have a lot in common. And I'm always interested to like learn more about the stories of people who um, are into similar things that, that I'm into. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just kind of say for the people listening, the, the thing that has gotten us together is just sort of our interest in, you know, like health optimization and mind optimization. And, you know, we were talking about biohacking and, um, and I don't exactly know like what the buzzwords are, but sort of um, proactive health measures, you know, like the opposite of, of modern Western medicine, you know? And, uh, so like we, we have a lot to talk about and I want to learn about like your story and, and really how it got there. But I wanted to start with talking about your video mm-hmm. and, uh, what you put together for keep me prime. And more specifically, I wanted to learn about like how you got to the spot where at such a young age where you're technically in like the prime of your life, you know, you found yourself really dealing with some of these like health ailments and how that led you to the journey of getting involved in this sort of uh, new, new age thinking and new age methodologies behind what keeps us prime. Mm-hmm. Oh man, this is going to go deep. Go gonna, deep, man. We got gonna, all the time in the world. I'm going to have to probably go really far back cool. um, to my obsession with health. 
So stay a little closer, like right here. Okay. How's that? That's good. Perfect. Okay. So I, my parents are from Pakistan. Um, I'm first generation. I was actually born in Nashville, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, and we've been New Yorkers our entire life. Now, when you are an immigrant as a child, all you want to do is fit in. All you want to do is have friends. All you want to do is hang out with people. Yeah. And the reality is that when you go to a white school and you have brown skin, people look at you kind of different. And the traditions that you have at home are dramatically different than what you're probably used to in school. And your parents are probably telling you to do things that your classmates would look at and go, man, that's just weird as fuck. And so I grew up always trying to fit in. And like that was my, that was my skill set was how do you go home, be a great Pakistani boy, and then how do you go to school and how do you just be a normal kid? Sure. And so growing up... It wasn't, and, I, and I, I will say this, I've had the single best parents a kid can ask for. They've loved the shit out of me. They've given me so much support, asked, allowed me to do anything I wanted to do, been there th- with me through thick and thin. But it was around fourth grade where I learned how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that was the thing. Like I was always did very well in school, but like I'd do weird things, like wear neon green spandex, right? Because mm-hmm. your mom didn't know how to dress you, and that's what you wore to school, and everyone made fun of you. And I mean, all you want to do is fit in and you want to, you want girls to like you at a certain degree, right? Yeah. And fourth grade was this really interesting turning point where I learned how to play basketball. Okay. And it was because I was hanging out with a group of older kids and they did two things. They cut hair and they played basketball. And so I learned how to cut hair and I've been cutting my hair since I was 11 years you old. You cut your own hair? Yeah. I've been cutting my hair. <laughs> looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> My brother cuts his hair. When friends come over to this day, when family comes over, my aunts and uncles are like, yo, give this person a haircut. Wow. I had a barber shop my, when I was 18 years old for like a good solid 10 months. Mm-hmm. And, like, so, and the other thing is I had to play ball because that's how I had to fit in. And I got really lucky that I became obsessive with understanding how to play basketball and then basketball became other sports. And so I became really athletic. And because I'm so small, like, right, I'm not... I'm like a strapping 5'8". I could barely see over a dashboard on a good day. Um, I had to try a lot harder than everyone else, and it just made me incredible. Especially with basketball, right? Because oh, that was yeah. your sport. Completely. And, and, yeah. and so I walked on to uh, a D1 team when I was 19 years old. Um, well, I was yeah, 18 and a half. And I've just been really lucky and blessed because the only way I got better was by studying everything, a little thing I did, taping myself constantly, reanalyzing it. And I'm by no means right a professional athlete. Zero chance. But you were dedicated. Super dedicated. Gotcha. Uh, and, and my family's not athletic to begin with, so I had to put in a lot of extra effort. Mm-hmm. And when I was around, when I was after, when I played, I hurt my ankle. When I hurt my ankle, I got into lifting hardcore. And like anything I do, I just tend to go really deep and I tend to become obsessive with it. So I started lifting really hard. Uh, got into that whole world, probably put on 65 pounds relatively fast. And um, I mean, I was I was at the point where I was like, well, I was competing, right? Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, 5'8", 220, uh, you end up looking like a gorilla. I, mean, I thought I looked sexy as hell, but uh, I ended up looking, looking like back a- at it now. <laughs> Dude, I look at pictures <laughs> and I was like, what kind of meathead was this little guy? What was he thinking? And... That 
led me to a life of just constantly, just always working out and not working out because I wanted to be big, because I got over that a long time ago, but by being healthy. And by what I realized is <clears throat> I started being obsessive and tracking all of these different metrics around, around my health. And I didn't realize I was biohacking when I was 21, 22, 23, constantly trying different supplements, trying different routines, measuring everything. I built, I spent six years building a venture-backed company. And I was healthy throughout the whole thing, meditated, got, you know, got a reasonable amount of sleep, ate pretty healthy, actually ate very healthy, worked out. But then when I sold the company, I was 35 and I could just feel myself slowing down a little bit. I think we've talked about this a little bit. Briefly. I love just learning. Mm -hmm. And I love learning and I love spending hours and days in certain subjects. And I noticed that the first thing that happened is my stamina to learn actually decreased. And previously- So your mental stamina. My mental stamina and from two very specific parameters. And I'll tell you about how you'll understand how anal I am really about tracking these things. I wish, uh-huh. I, wish I brought the book. I have a 90 page manual on myself that I've wow. created. Um, and I track things, you know, religiously, uh, different apps in my phones. My ability to recall information dropped a little bit. Mm-hmm. And my ability to stay focused on one task changed. And then also, I can usually work for 19-day stretches, and on the 20th day, my body just breaks down and says, you need to just chill out and do absolutely nothing. Yeah. That changed to like seven days I could work. Eighth day, my body said, Saad, do not do anything more. And then on top of it, too, I had these three large bumps that appeared on my back. I had this horrible pain that started in my stomach. Actually, when I was going across the country and I built that call center we talked about in Northern California. Mm-hmm. That's really when that pain started. And I was 35 and I was like, Jesus, I, was like, I feel kind of old right now. And I was like, whoa, whoa, like I shouldn't. And the other one that was hard is, and I love my girlfriend, so she hopefully she will, she's cool with me saying this, but I just didn't want to have sex as much, right? And here you are thinking you're the man, I'm coming in and you're like, man, I just kind of want to just read right now. And you're yeah. like, what the fuck size? This is what it's like. So like all of your drives were just plummeted. They definitely changed. And the, the difference is like I could feel myself in my mind saying, Saad, you want more, you want more, you want more. Figure out how to keep your keep everything where it was before. And I had right, I was doing all these things, but the things I was doing just wasn't working. And that made brought me to the realization the things I needed to do at 32, 33, and 34 were dramatically different than what I needed to do at 35. And so when I went online to look for information, I realized there's so much disinformation. There's so many people that have created products with bogus bullshit claims. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, I'm like a, I'd like to say I'm a very I'm a, I'm a good consumer of information, but it left me confused. I was like, shit, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to A/B test all this on myself? Um, perfect example is I started taking uh, a supplement that's supposed to increase your longevity. And it has two ingredients in it. I'm not going to call it the company, um, but it's a wonderful company. And it's actually one of the only companies out there that's been proven to increase longevity. But I started having these horrible headaches after taking the product. And when I realized it's because one of the ingredients in it was um, increases your caffeine sensitivity. And so by drinking coffee, uh, it reduced the amount of serotonin I was actually creating in my brain. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry 
the drug I was taking, the supplement I was taking, reduced the total amount of serotonin in my brain by drinking coffee. Uh, it was basically trying to push it through the receptors, and that's what was causing my headaches. And I was like, Jesus, why didn't anyone tell me about this? Wow. And so by spending a lot of time on the internet, realized, oh, if I were to, so that means if I take the same supplement minus one of the pieces, then I'll probably have the longevity benefits. Mm -hmm. And so what I literally did was did that, and I A-B tested myself, and I was like, feel great. That led me to kind of understand that if I'm one person that's going through it and I'm being obsessive with how I read this information, everyone else is fucked. Mm -hmm. And not even everyone, I still am. Like, I don't know how to do it the best I possibly could. Mm -hmm. And that led me on to this path of, let me start <laughs> organizing all the different information that's out there. So I said, okay, let me organize. Okay, there's integrative medicine. There is cryotherapy. There's infrared saunas. There's supplementation for mitochondria health. There's supplementation for neuro health. And within our neuro health, there are 75 different things that you can take in order to actually improve your mental capabilities. And then I realized, oh my God, there's PEMF therapy. And then I was like, oh man, there's this other really cool therapy around uh, over here uh, around um, lights for visual stimulation. And I was like, whoa, there's all this stuff. And it all looks really cool. And people swear by it. But the problem is, is it works for a select group of people and it doesn't work for another group of people. So they end up calling it like a bullshit science when the reality is no, it works for some people and it works for some people because guess what? They're just more prone to that efficacy. Mm -hmm. Other people are not going to be. And the, the way the world is evolving, if there's a technological component put in peace that helps people sort through those based upon both who they are as an individual, the individual and kind of their phenotypic expression, uh, as well as what their genetic code looks like and where they are from a hormonal perspective, that ends up becoming really valuable. But it's it's a super sophisticated problem, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what got me so obsessed with this. Uh, and it comes down to the fact that <laughs> I love I love being young. I love acting young. Mm -hmm. I love being able to sprint in all aspects of my life. And frankly, I said, I want to build a company where I get to learn how to do these things better for myself and hang around people that all they want to do is do those things for themselves in order to help other people. Because the reason why I had that whole conversation about me being younger and me wanting to fit in is because being athletic gave me confidence. Sure. And what I've realized is that a lot of my friends right around this age, 35, 36, Gain 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. Wife doesn't want to sleep with them as much. Can't run around with their kids as much. Gain another 10 pounds. Then all of a sudden, they look in the mirror one day, and they're like, holy shit, I look like my father. And then they're like, oh, you know, that's part of life. It's just aging. You know, I'm just supposed to go with this. And you're like, no, dude, you don't have to, because there are other people, like our friend Cap. Mm -hmm. They're 72 years old. They're living like they're 45. And the world is shaping up in a way where we don't have to be resigned to getting older the way our parents did. We're all going to get old. We're going to die. Of course. We can't run away from that. But the reality is we can get better at it. What do you think... I got to be careful with the questions I ask because I'm not a doctor and I don't have like credentials to um, 
to, to back up a lot of the stuff that I know, mm-hmm. right? And that I've read. Um, so like, I don't want to give people advice and say like, do this. So like with that almost being like a disclaimer, I'm just going to speak strictly from my experience. Like mm-hmm. this is what has worked for me and this is like what I've felt. And in my experience, I think um, all of those ailments that you're talking about, w- the biggest factor or the biggest thing that leads to that mostly feels like it's diet to me like Mm -hmm. the american diet do you do you think that there's more to it that i mean for instance i was reading uh something about just toxins like just the the air that we breathe with all the exhaust fumes is is having like a, a real bad effect on our on our health um, I was reading another crazy study about people that live near airports mm-hmm. just because of the, the fumes that come out of airplanes is, is like so, so uh, putrid maybe is the word. The, there's a lot of health ailments for people that live uh, right around air, uh, airports. But when I take all of it in, right, and I, I look at the general, like the average health of the, of the American it seems to me like a vast majority of the health problems that we have and you know obviously how that cripples like the healthcare system how so much money is being spent on shit like dialysis and and heart disease and diabetes right like those three things basically take up like 60 or 70% of of the of the healthcare budget it seems like if everybody ate better like we would fix a whole lot of these problems mm-hmm. do you do you think it's as simple as that? Or do you think there's, there's more to that story? Let me say yes and no. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you. So my father, I should, a real reason why I got afraid when I started feeling these things yeah. is my father is 70. And he has heart disease. He's a diabetic. And he has dialysis. Amongst probably five other things. Mm-hmm. And watching him struggle through those things, which he's done through, I should say, done so like a warrior, has, one, taught me I don't want to live that same life, but two, given me a whole lot more respect for the way that he actually has lived his because they are just so fucking difficult. Yeah. It's easy for me to say, hey, Tim, if you eat better, you're going to be healthier. The reality is that eating better is actually a little bit more complicated than it seems. Uh, and it's complicated because one, your eating behaviors are tied into kind of psychological um, triggers and drives. Of course, that like you when have. I get sad, I need Milky Way. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a perfect example. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and some people are sad all the time, so they just eat a lot of Milky Way. Understood. But there's there's also like a very interesting emerging science around gut health, and there are guys like Naveen Jain that have created companies like Viome that are going in and doing deep RNA analysis to determine what is actually happening in your gut and what kinds of healthy foods are actually good for you. So it's kind of like this. Uh, If, you know, as you growing up, you just hear people saying, hey, if you eat spinach, you're going to be strong like Popeye, right? Mm -hmm. Because it has a tremendous amount of iron and folic acid. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that for certain people, spinach is actually not good for them. And for other people, spinach is great for them. And so I think there's there's a nuanced understanding that's coming around where people are beginning to understand that by actually looking at their gut health with very specific technologies, they can understand what a custom diet looks like for them. And some of the things they have may have thought were healthy their entire life 
are actually the real culprits. Now, I'll give you another kind of piece of this too, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going too far into it. Not at all. Kind of like at a 50,000 foot level, I would completely agree that the average person, not even male, but person has no clue how to eat. And the reason why we have an obesity demic is because there are a lot of fast foods and things that are easy to grab off the shelf, which are cheap. Mm-hmm. And very large parts of our population, especially those that come from low income and low, uh, lower demographics, yeah. that's what they're putting in their bodies. And if you do that for a period of time and you're, I would say, incredibly overweight, your body starts to fall apart. And so the argument is simply stop giving them fast food. They don't gain as much weight. They feel a whole lot better about themselves, which on the surface actually makes sense. No sugary drinks. Don't do that. You get healthier. But there is, I'd say, once you do that, there is a whole other level of refinement as to how you can actually optimize yourself. Mm. And the, the larger problem, hey, just eat better, that's a more difficult thing to solve because very often that's a societal problem yeah um that's wrapped up in big business yeah that becomes more difficult to change because the reality is is your 64 ounce soda for 99 cents at 7-eleven going away i I don't know and like that's those are the culprits i i agree i was having a very similar conversation recently um there's no other way for me to say this without sounding judgmental. So I'll just say it. And if, if you have a problem with, with how I say it, like, honestly, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend people. But uh, I got my flight was delayed in the Fort Lauderdale airport. Last time I went to Fort Lauderdale to check on Stadzi. I was coming back to Nashville and uh, there was lightning. And so I was stuck at the Fort Lauderdale airport mm-hmm. for like six hours. And <laughs> being stuck in an airport within itself sucks. And, you know, I'm like very routine driven and so like i got knocked off of it and it it screwed me up a little bit so i was grumpy is what i was trying Mm -hmm. to say i was grumpy and i was being like overly judgmental and when you are watching people at an airport and again i'm gonna sound like a dick but anybody doing this this will happen to you when you watch people at an airport long enough and you just see like you start counting like that person's overweight that person's overweight that person's overweight and when i came home i was I was having this conversation about how much it bothers me that it it seems like there's a real lack of like self-discipline and self-control. Um, and the counter argument, maybe not argument, but the, the counter point is exactly like you were saying. It's not really that simple. One, because when you say lack of self-discipline and self-control, you're making the assumption that people are they know the right thing to do and they just don't care. When most likely the case is that like people are trying to do the right thing. They just don't really know any better. You know, so there's like a whole educational perspective, which I think is probably the the place to start. You know, mm-hmm. when you want to change something as big as like the American diet, which is built on like the most powerful lobbyists basically the world has ever seen and like billions and billions and billions of dollars um, of business. And I'm not like a a conspiracy theorist by any means, but like, you know, like try to put Coke out of business. It's a tough fucking thing to do, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then, so I agree with what you're saying there, that 
it's very easy for somebody like me to say like, oh, well, this is a simple problem to solve. Just eat better. You know, and I think I've made the mistake of, of seeing it as such like a real surface line kind of problem with a real straightforward solution. And it's, it's probably much more complicated than that. And then to touch on what you were saying about, um, you know, okay, so let's just assume that we solve this so, sort of surface level diet problem that we have. When you get, I like, I like the word you use, you use refinement. Then when you start to refine people on an individual level, I was amazed to learn how different we all are mm-hmm. and how differently we all react to certain chemicals. And the gut health stuff is really fascinating. I was listening to this Radio Lab podcast and um, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on it and they were talking about, they were talking about bacteria and, you know, the analogy that there's more bacteria in our guts than there are stars in the universe was in there. And then he said, if you look at like the complexity of life in a rainforest and then you take one rainforest and you try to like compare it to another rainforest, like, yeah, they're both rainforests, but they're not even close mm-hmm. to like what they are on a, on a, just like the different life forms, you know? And then you take a gut biome, which is like a million times more complicated than that. And you try to line one up with another, like, okay, so spinach is good. Spinach is going to be good for this person. And it's going to be good for that person. When like the reality is that for whatever reason, like genetic, you know, um, did we breastfeed when we were younger? Like, where did we grow up for whatever reason? Like all the different complexities in our gut biome is so drastically different that I think you're really onto something when you say, there's just a million, million different factors to think about when you get into this stuff. So I'll give you a crazy number. That's, it's hard to conceptualize because our brains actually don't get there. But at any given second, any given second, there are 37 billion, billion chemical reactions happening in our body. <laughs> like, right? It, it, you just, we actually can't fathom what that means. But you then can't. if you stop to think, just right now, when I, as I snap my fingers... 37 billion billion transactions between different cells happen in my body, wow. your body, seven other billion people's bodies. Like there's just so much differentiation between every individual. And going to your rainforest analogy, think about this, we'll call it the South American rainforest, mm-hmm. and think about uh, the rainforests in India, right? You have tigers in India, you have elephants in India. In South America, you have none of those things, but yeah. you have jaguar, jaguars, you have poison dart frogs, and you could, and those animals couldn't survive very well in the other rainforests because they weren't actually created for that kind of environment. Yeah, and so your guts are very similar. I wanted to touch upon what you said about the the hard harder societal problems, and and how difficult that really is to break America's entire understanding of what diet is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I watch a ton of documentaries, boatloads of them, and I watch them and I go, oh, that was really insightful. I just watched one on keto. And my girlfriend- Which one? Oh man, it's the one on Netflix. I should should know this. I watched too many of them though. Uh, It'll come to me very shortly. Cool. And so she watches the the, the keto one. She goes, oh my God, we're completely going to change your diet. And I go, well, listen, let's Let's, let's, let's be a little bit slower. Let's think about how we should change your diet based upon what we want to accomplish in life. As we thought about kind of where the, 
it's easy for us to change. And when I say it's, well, I'm saying it's easier for us to change than for other individuals to change. And I say that because we have a very healthy household. We are both focused on feeling great appearance, making sure we measure ourselves, mm-hmm. wanting to be around for 150 years. Like we have very lofty and different goals. They say that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? And it's, it's, it's kind of a kitschy statement people make, but it's actually very real. Mm-hmm. And so you look at a lot of these places where they have very poor diets, the people they're spending their time with have no information about what's good. And frankly, so many people are so worried about survival, they can't even think yeah. about their diets. Yeah. And so fixing the obesity epidemic is such a deep issue that is difficult to solve. And so much of it is kind of wrapped up in cultural, uh, not even stereotypes, but norms of the way individuals are raised. Mm -hmm. I just spent two weeks talking to 50 men between 30 and 70 years old in a market research facility. And the single biggest thing we learned, well, I can't tell you what the single biggest thing we learned is, but maybe the second biggest is that they all had no clue about how to really eat healthy. And if you think about what that means, most people go, oh man, I just had myself a burger, but I made sure I put an extra piece of lettuce and an extra tomato on it with the cheese, which is also healthy for you. And uh, I had two of them last night. You're like, you had two burgers from McDonald's and you asked them for extra lettuce and tomato and that was healthy? Yeah, we had vegetables. And a Diet Coke. And a Diet Coke, and you're like, Jesus, no, that's that's horrible for you. Think about the way that the, the food was processed. Think about what that's actually doing to you, the amount of saturated fat in it. That's an argument, too, about whether saturated fat is good for you or not good for you based upon the new keto diet. Mm-hmm. And so what I think it really involves, I'm going to go bring it back to your point of refinement, is the real education isn't what's overall healthy or overall not healthy. And the keto documentary, which I'll remember, actually talks about how the food pyramid in this country was created and how it's completely actually backwards and yeah, should be bullshit. inverted. It, it was based upon a guy. I'll let you watch the, the documentary. It's fantastic. Okay. Um, but basically, what I'm beginning to realize is every individual has to look at themselves by themselves. And they have to say, who am I as a person? What are the habits I have in my life? And then I think the most important thing is, what do I want to achieve and what am I willing to get to that? Hmm. Because someone like you or me, we're willing to alter our lives dramatically to be a healthier version of ourselves, And it's because it's a huge focus of ours. And it's because our lives have allowed us to have the, I would say, the latitude in order for us to focus on those things yeah. because they're, they're higher level order desires. There are other people that don't have that luxury. And so where we're willing to work out five days a week, maybe they can only work out two days a week and only for 15 minutes a day. And it could be because they're a single mother, they have three kids and they're working three jobs mm-hmm. and they don't have a lot of money to go buy your kombucha drinks or have your cucumber infused water in your fridge. It's good though, right? It is really, really yeah. good. And it actually is way cheaper and I'm shocked more people don't do this. Yeah, way cheaper. But they, they need to understand what they want to achieve realistically and what they're willing to give to get there. And then their plan has to be created for them. And just like you have kind of, we'll call it a routine, just as I do, they have to understand what the general outlines of their specific routine for that individual is. I'll tell you, I just, I also just did market research with 4,000 men between 30 and 70. Uh, I literally came back last night. And so I've been sitting there watching it like this little kid, uh, refreshing it and looking at how the numbers are changing. 
we ask people, what is the single most important thing that you want in some kind of regimen, routine, service that would help you become the best version of yourself? We listed all kinds of things out, like DNA hormone analysis. We listed out uh, <laughs> uh, mental supplements, hormone replacements, cryotherapy clinics in your house, uh, HRT monitors. I mean, literally the entire gamut. You're talking about 40 different things. The single thing that won, can you take a guess? You, this is mind-blowing. You're just never going to. 30 to 70? For I can only think about me. If if I had to say one thing that I would consider the most important, it would be some kind of gut health monitoring. What they said is the single most important thing is someone to look them in the eyes and tell them what they can realistically expect to gain out of any kind of regimen or service because they feel it's like they're they don't know. To. They don't know. Everyone says it. You do this, you're going to be the perfect vision of health. You're going to be 70 years old. You're going to be ripped and you're going to look great and you're going to want to have sex and fuck five times a day. That's not the fucking real world. Mm -hmm. People just want realistic expectations so they know what they're actually aiming for. This was mind-blowing to me. And if you think about any kind of program you buy, if you do this, you'll be better. If you do this, you'll be ripped. People actually, what they want to see is they want to see maps and they want to see options. They want to see, well, if I'm willing to give X and I'm willing to pay X, you can have this X outcome. If I'm willing to pay Y, it's a little bit better, but it costs me a little bit more and it's a little bit more of a commitment on my behalf. And they want to be able to look at the different options and go, God, that second option, that's what I'm willing to give in my life just because life is difficult right now. And frankly, my focus is on making sure I provide enough for my family and make sure my kids are fed every single day not being the best version of myself yet. I, I like that because, because I think it's important to be realistic that it's not necessarily about being like a perfect specimen as much as it's about as much as it's about designing for your expectations. Because when you were saying that, here's what it meant to me. Chocolate chip cookies are bad. Mm -hmm. There is no fucking way in my life that I am willing to completely give up chocolate chip cookies. Mm -hmm. I love them. They make me very, very happy. <laughs> and so like in a way, there's still a balance in like, yes, this is important to me. Optimizing my health is important to me. Having longevity and maintaining my youth is important to me. But the feeling I get from eating chocolate chip cookies is also important to me. Mm -hmm. So like that's just a small kind of silly example from my end but i'm sure the more people you talk to there's a whole array of different of different ways to go like maybe it's just about i want to be able to pick my kids up a little bit better mm. on the playground and like what are you willing to give and sacrifice for that and it's like well I'm willing to give this much. This is what I can give because I'm a, I'm a single mom. I'm a single dad and I work 70 hours a week. And like, you know what? I also have this volunteer position on Sunday. That means a lot to me, you know? So like, so correct me if I'm wrong. Where you're going with this is you're mapping out um, almost like a hierarchy of instructions that says like, you want to get here, this is what's required. You want to get here, this is what's required. And kind of all the little places in between so that it's not just about dumping as much like health products, courses, 
optimization, sales, marketing info on people. It's about giving people like an actual pragmatic and, and practical course of action so that they can have an endpoint in mind and they know what they need to do to get there. You, you said it and summarized it very, very well. Great. And I'll, I'll give you an example. And this is not, I'm not saying this is, this is maybe a piece of what we're doing. Um, generally when someone gives you a health plan, so I've used different trainers, I've used different dietitians, they go, here it is. And you look at it and you go, Jesus Christ, like I gotta go change the way I go buy groceries, I've gotta change the way I cook, I've gotta change the it's way- It's very I overwhelming. It's a lot. To do all that at once, It's yeah. a life change. And what people, and we all know that if you ask me to change 20 behaviors at once, they're probably gonna fail, let alone just one behavior even. Most definitely. I, I can speak on this now, um, and I don't want to get too much into it, but, but food and diet, as I'm sure is the case for like millions of women especially, but people in the country, um, is a struggle for them, right? Mm-hmm. And Juliana is very, very passionate about helping people with their fitness and more importantly with their diet. I think there's like a little bit more of an emotional connection with her there just because like she wants to help people with some of the struggles that she's had with that kind of stuff. And she says over and over again that the biggest mistake that, I mean, I don't know, therapists or or doctors or, or whatever, whoever is the person kind of giving this advice is, is they give you this like giant list of things you need to change when like in reality, it's way like it's way more conducive to success if you just take it like one little step at a time, yes. like one little step at a time. Maybe the first thing to do is like just stop eating bread mm-hmm. and like don't eat bread for like two weeks, you know, M- maybe even three weeks. And like maybe you'll have a slip up, but just focus on not eating bread. You know, don't focus on running the marathon and don't focus on walking every night. And if you can do that stuff, great. But three weeks later, after you've built that one habit. Let's put another habit on top of it. And I, when she says that to me, I really, really, really think she's onto something. And I've seen it too, because with some of the Pilates clients that she's working with now, she's like kind of mapped out this slow, progressive course of action where, where people have little victories mm-hmm. and they feel good about that. And it gives them like a boost where like, okay, I can... I don't know what it's called, but like there's this one pose where you lay on your belly and you lift your hands and your feet up. And like, it doesn't seem like much, but it's really, really fucking difficult, you Mm -hmm. know? And she was telling me about a client who was working just to get to that pose. And it's like, oh, but I did this pose. And so now I know that if I, if I practice and I dedicate, I can do this next little pose and then this next little pose. And then now we're talking about, you know, those YouTube videos where you see somebody where like their journey from the course over a year they lost like 80 pounds and they're running that 5k where when you really, really broke it down, it was just about like one little tiny thing at a time. Yep. And I would even break it down simpler, right? So when we interviewed these men, we would hear, I can think of seven men, and I'm saying seven roughly that were on some kind of diet mm-hmm. that allowed them to lose 30 or 40 pounds. But what ends up happening is after you lose 30 or 40 pounds, you gain it right back. 
because the behavior modifications those diets force you to do is too much for you to handle over a long period mm -hmm. of time because they're also too rigid. And you know, just as Juliana tells her clients or, or you're talking about don't eat bread for three weeks, that's even too difficult for a lot of people because sure. their, their bodies have been used to functioning on carbohydrates as a source of energy and their brains need it to actually function. Yeah, those sugar breakdowns. And, and so it's, hey, how about you just eat one meal without bread in it today and do that for a week. Mm -hmm. And then the next week, reduce it down to two meals. And then the next week it's eat bread six days or six days and then on that seventh day don't eat bread at all. And I think what people, they, everyone wants a quick answer. Everyone wants a magic pill. Guess what? There is no magic pill in life. Yeah. These are a series of behaviors that you have to actually build over the course of time and people don't want to hear that. And the reality is like if you actually want to change your life, you have to slowly build them in around your current life. Otherwise, it's just too jarring. Like, you know, a perfect example is uh, my girlfriend, Rachel. She has the most amazing discipline when she wants something. And when she wants something, she won't touch. She had to prepare for her best friend's wedding. Didn't touch anything unhealthy for two months. Mm -hmm. Two months in one day, man, she was crushing it. Two months in th two days spaghetti pizza times two <laughs> it's so cute the way and how happy she gets with it my thing is munch blueberry munchkins i'm gonna have my blueberry munchkins every now and then just uh -huh. like your chocolate chip cookies they make you happy i need them it makes it makes the back of my head feel like someone's rubbing it <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> and and i think what we're beginning to learn is that if you actually want to create an entity that fundamentally changes people's lives you have to teach them how to live their lives differently rather than just saying Here's a pill, take it, you're going to be better. It just doesn't work that way. Okay, so kind of perfect transition point because maybe all of this conversation and all of this research that you've been doing, and you hinted on it, but there's a purpose behind this. Mm -hmm. You know, you said that you want to build a resource, you want to build a company, you want to build, you know, an actual um, entity that provides value into people's lives. It From what we've talked about, and we haven't, really talked about a whole lot but it sounds like you kind of have like a a basic idea of where you're going with it do you have like an ironclad structure of this is what you want to put out there this is what you want to do um I, I i shared the video do you plan on making like a, a weekly video series through this all do you want it to just be strictly a website just i don't know kind of tell everybody about what you're working on so i'll say there there's a first phase, which I'm comfortable about talking about, mm -hmm. uh, as a second phase, which I'm a little bit, uh, hold a little bit closer to the vest. But I'll, I'll even start by saying something. If you think about what my mission and purpose in life is right now, uh, and I feel like this is actually about what's been my mission and purpose my entire life. It just took me 36 years to figure it out because sure. all of my experiences are coming together at the perfect place at the perfect time. Yep. What I care about is making sure that I can figure out how people have confidence as they go through the aging process so they can take care of the people they love, right? I am insanely close to my family. My family's name tattooed on my me wrist. Too. I talk to them three or four times a day. Yeah. At least nothing brings me greater joy than making sure my family, my girl, my friends are taken care of. And what I want to make sure is that right now I'm focused on men 
and the reason I'm focused on men and not women is because a I as my girlfriend all the tasks so I probably don't understand women that well. Mm-hmm. But I actually, and this might make some other men unhappy to hear. I think women are smarter. I think women have uh, they're far more health conscious. I think they're I, tougher. Yeah, they are. So I, I cry like up. I cry like a little bitch when my stomach hurts. Yeah. I don't cry like complain. I know. I think they're just tougher, and like I also think they're just more. Um, they're just more self-aware. Yes. You know. Completely. They're just more aware of their own behaviors. And I think so much of what we're taught to do as men is just be tough. Tough it out. Yeah, tough it the fuck out. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that inside, we have this real dialogue that's going on that's like, I don't know what to do. And we can't talk to other men about it. And most men won't go to a psychologist to talk about it because that's weak too. And the reality is like, there has to be a dialogue and some kind of medium through which you can say like, guys, I'm struggling over here. Because the last thing you want to do is you want to hold in all those problems for six, seven, eight, nine years, look back and go, holy shit, where did it all go? Too late. Too late. It's so late. And so my first objective right now is one, to start a dialogue around making men feel comfortable talking about this. Because guess what? The moment you talk about it, you already feel better because you've been bottling all those things up for so long. Definitely. I, I had, um, I guess you can call him a mentor of mine. He, he said something to me that always stuck with me. He said, when you tell somebody about something, you cut its power in half. Mm-hmm. That, always, that always really stuck with me because when you're bottling it up, like you think you're toughing it out and you're controlling it, but like actually it's, it's got a lot more control over you you know, and so when you like, when you put it out there and you share it with somebody, you're actually like cutting its power over you. Um, I mean, in half was always just like an analogy that he said. I don't, you know, who knows like how true that is, but I think that, I think that the concept that sharing internal dialogue with other men, there's huge fucking power behind that, one hundred percent. It, it's like this, right? Um, if you have a negative thought and it's something that actually is legitimately bothering you, mm-hmm. I don't feel as strong as I used to be. I don't have as much energy as I used to. And you think about it multiple times during the day because you are thinking about it multiple times during the day. If you think about it more than twice, it means that you're creating a feedback loop. And the hard thing about it, it's a self-defeating negative feedback loop yeah. that actually gains strength on you over the course of time and you can ignore it but in your subconscious it's kind of just running over and over and over again and when it runs over and over and over again it causes internal stress and when it causes internal stress things like inflammation set in a little bit faster because you're susceptible to actual levels exactly yeah and you're so right when you say you cut it in half because the moment you tell someone about it you're breaking that feedback loop of only having the conversation with yourself. Mm. That's the worst person to have a conversation <laughs> with. It is, right? Yeah. Because you also realize it's so much, you think it's so much worse than it really is. And generally when you talk to someone about it, very often they're holding a similar problem inside and they're going, well, let me tell you about my problem. Yeah. And then you're going, holy shit, like this guy has the same problem. We were doing this research And we had men crying, like just weeping and weeping in an empowering way. And then the most, the coolest thing is like when a guy 
go on one side of the table, reach over to the other guy and hand him his phone number and be like, yo, bro, give me a call anytime. Two completely different strangers. That's cool. And so I've realized that some people might call it soft, but I think it's actually incredibly empowering and it's necessary in order to just even begin tackling the problem. There's actually a dude, um, his name is Justin Baldoni and he has a series on Facebook with a bunch of guys about men talking about their emotions. And it has like millions of views on it. And it's like this beautiful series of dudes sitting out <laughs> in the dark in a, like a, in a nice kind of like delicate kind of environment. But they're talking about these very real issues that bother men that we've never been allowed to talk about. Hmm. And so what I want to do is first and foremost, I'll be producing a video series where I'm doing weekly drops on how I'm optimizing my own health. But after about six weeks, we'll move off of me because I'm not the focus. And we'll start talking about what other men are feeling. Then we'll start talking about the research that we've done with 4,000 men. Then we'll move into what are other, we'll call it thought leaders, athletes, um, CEOs of companies out there doing in order to help move this industry along. And the first thing that we're putting out there is we're basically saying, the industry is completely unorganized. It's happening in these different verticals. It's really easy. Little to start pockets. Company. Yes. Yeah. And it's because the cost of starting a company has reduced to quite literally zero of throwing up a landing page, getting an Instagram account, and just throwing something you concoct. There is fragmentation, but there's also quite a bit of distrust. And there's also innovation and some exciting shit happening. And so we want to bring all those things together just to make someone's journey of optimizing their own health a little bit easier. Now, the f second phase goes so much further into that mm -hmm. as to how you do it specifically for yourself. Mm -hmm. But phase number one is let's just get all the information in one place. And I think that is a massive step in the right direction. Me too. It's very exciting. Uh, you know, it's... <laughs> When you build companies like us, right, the, the uh -huh. two of us, there are a couple of different ways to build businesses. And some people, uh, and I, maybe to a certain degree, I admire them because I don't have this quality, is they can go look at an endeavor and they can say, this thing makes money over here. And because it makes money, I'm just going to go build it. And there are other people that are mission-driven, meaning it has to come from somewhere inside of them and you integrate with yourself with that business because it is who you are for that period of time to a certain degree yeah it's like part of your identity it is it, you are like like little wayne says i am the music yeah have you ever heard that i haven't but i believe you <laughs> <laughs> i mean he's the music like that's who he is uh -huh. and so when i built my last company it was a k-12 education company that helped kids organize their thoughts so they can become better critical thinkers it's because one of my core sets is looking at large swaths of information and figuring out how to come up with usable insights. And that's what allowed me to be successful in addition to my confidence. And I wanted to give other kids that. And since we sold that company, I've tried five other businesses. And when I say I've tried them, I was the CEO of a sports betting company for three months until I realized I didn't want to do that. Tried multiple other things. And then most recently, I started putting together a recruiting-based or an AI-based recruiting company. And it was incredibly valuable in the service it was providing by helping non-traditional individuals get themselves into the workforce. But it wasn't my mission and purpose in life at that moment. Mm -hmm. right? And when I discovered this 
whole problem I was going through. And when I came to the realization that this is what I want, I can actually foresee myself spending the rest of my life on because there's so many problems to solve in this world that I'm now living in. It happened like a flash where I was like, holy fuck, Sad, you like, oh my God, you're so excited. You can't go to sleep because you're so excited. Yeah. And so when you talk about excitement, like my girl is like, I've just never seen so much energy in someone because she wasn't around when I built, started building the other company. It's like you're falling in love with something and it mm-hmm. becomes your oxygen. It's like when you meet your girl for the first time and mm-hmm. you're like, fuck, like my heart's just like, Rachel, 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 yeah. Rachel. But right now it's like, yo, this company is just so exciting because it has the ability to impact so many people's lives positively. And we're right at the beginning of this industry being created. So you get to use your creativity and your imagination. You can be innovative and you can, and you know, when it comes to building companies, you're supposed to fail as many times as possible until you figure out the right thing. Mm -hmm. And so there are a million things I can try to fail at. And I know that sounds crazy and counterintuitive, but I get up in the morning excited as all fuck to try new shit and see what actually sticks against the wall. So you're, it is, it's super exciting. And, and like the reality is like, I feel super blessed yeah. to, to have this possibility. A lot of people don't have that. Mm-hmm. That's really, I, I, I relate to you a whole lot where you say like, you just feel blessed and grateful to, to just, there's so much about it. That's luck, you know, like you stumbled across something that really, really makes you feel excited about the work that you do. And, I'll kind of wrap up the podcast on this note because this is something that means a lot to me as a person because uh, I believe, you know, I'm I'm not one of those people that's like chase your dreams at all costs, you know, um, sometimes like you're just not a fucking good singer and you, mm-hmm. you don't and like you stop trying to be a singer, you're not going to make it and like I'm sorry to break your heart like that. But there's another side of me that respects work and like the nobility of work Mm -hmm. so much because you're going to spend most of your life working like by far most of your life is going to be spent working and providing and and hopefully doing something that allows you to kind of give back into the world so that when i leave here my real only hope is that like i put more back in than i took And if you're just like lucky enough to stumble across something that allows you to to have a meaning behind like what you're going to spend the majority of your life doing, Mm -hmm. like there's this, you know, there's health, there's relationships and there's work. And to me, like contentness, not even happiness, because I don't, I'm not really about happiness. I'm, I'm about contentness is, is basically like a summary of those three things. And so if your health and your relationships and your work are all built around things that you feel good about, I mean, there's, there's literally nothing else in, that you could want out of life. Mm-hmm. So like when, when I see that excitement out of you, I, I can tell that it's real and like I'm, I'm happy for you because you, you. you get to do that. You know, that's, that's really great. Okay, um, real quick before we wrap up, um, there's a landing page up right now. Um, please tell people where they can find out more about uh, this this upcoming project. Do you have any social media accounts built for it? Just tell people where they can find out more about it. Okay, you can find the project, and it's just like a landing page, like you said, at keepmeprime.com. The name of the company is Prime, and the movement we're trying to create is help men extend their primes. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, interestingly, I've probably had two dozen women in the past three days contact me and say, Saad, what the fuck? 
why aren't you thinking about us? And I promise you, we'll, we'll get there eventually in time. Um, we have social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all at Keep Me Prime. Cool. Uh, you can find me personally at M Saad, S-A-A-D, Alam, A-L-A-M, on Instagram. Uh, and once you get there, you'll be able to find all, other, all my other links as well, too. Cool. I will link all of that up in the show notes of the podcast. My friend, thank you so much for doing the show for me. You know it, man. Really appreciate it. Um, everybody listening, thank you so much for listening. Please give the podcast a subscribe and leave me a rating on iTunes. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. And we have a, my next episode is being recorded live on Sunday. So I will talk to you guys then. Saad, thank you so much one more time. Later, guys. All right. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.